All right, so um, there's this guy by the name of Kanye West, right? Uh, if you don't know Kanye West, he's, he's obvious. I mean, you guys know Kanye West, right? Uh, he's a Grammy Award-winning artist, producer. Uh, he's won 21 Grammys. That's pretty legit, right? Uh, there's actually a Wikipedia just for his awards and nominations, right? Separate from his normal... Uh, biographical Wikipedia, and I was looking at it, and he has over 260 awards. It's crazy. He's pretty accomplished. He's well-decorated as a producer. Um, in my opinion, I think he's the greatest hip-hop producer. He's one of the greatest musical creative geniuses um, that the world has ever seen, and if you know me, um, you guys know I love Kanye, right? Um, I tried to rap like him when I was younger. Um, I recorded videos of me in high school rapping to his songs. And, you know, like, there's a song called I Love Kanye, right? It, it goes like this. I miss the old Kanye, right? That song. So there's this line. It goes like this. I used to love Kanye. I used to love Kanye. I even had the pink polo. thought I was Kanye, right? And this is my testimony right here. Like, I bought a pink Ralph Lauren polo. And Jerome actually has evidence of this. Like, back in the day, he took a picture of me wearing this ugly, hot pink, like, Ralph Lauren polo because I loved Kanye so much. Um, I wanted to be just like him. Now, we may disagree with him, his ideals. Uh, we might not like him as a person. We may think he's a crazy person. But to some degree, we can respect his music and his accomplishments as a producer. Um, do you know what got Kanye on the map as an artist, as a rapper? It was a song, uh, Jesus Walks. This song, Jesus Walks, came out in 2004, like 15 years ago, right? And um, even though like it's kind of like an old hip-hop classic, it's so relevant for us today. Um, so he's, the, if you don't know the song, the song goes like this. It goes bump, bump, bump. Bum, 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 right? And then Kanye goes like this. Um, Yo, we at war. Does it ring a bell, right? We at war with terrorism, racism, and most of all, we at war with ourselves. And he goes, Jesus walks, right? Now, there's some truth to what he's saying. And I'm not talking about, like, the terrorism stuff, racism, right? Um, of course, that is, like, reality. But the phrase, we're at war with ourselves, I think holds a lot of merit and truth. Do you feel like, do you resonate with that statement? Like, we're at war with ourselves. Do you feel like that's kind of like your reality right now? Um, as you're living your life in your current season, that there is this battling and this tension, this type of fighting within yourself. You know, Christian living is so hard because at the end of the day, we have mixed motives, Right? We're one creature, we're one person, but in, in ourselves, right, we have conflicting desires. What I mean by that is this. Um, there's this war going on within ourselves with the spirit and the flesh. There's a part of us in the spirit that wants us to do God-glorifying things. Right? We want to live for holiness. <clears throat> we want to live for the gospel. We want to uh, walk in righteousness, but at the same time, simultaneously, there is another part of us in the flesh that wants to do self-glorifying things. Right? There's a part of us we get seduced by sin, right, and we make bad decisions, right? We're imperfect. 
And whether if you realize it or not, there is this spiritual war going on that affects every individual, including you and I. Right? There is a war going on for our souls. Now, as we examine this war, this war, this war will either lead us to faith or unbelief. And as Christians, I think we have to be aware of this reality. Why? Because the spiritual war that we're in affects our physical life, right? It affects our bodily life and what we experience. What I mean by that is this. The war that we're in, right, the spiritual war, affects how we work. It affects how we parent. It affects how we step into our relationships, It affects how we save money or how we spend money or how we plan for the future and how we live out our present lives right now. Now, in this war and the different countless of battles that we face, I think there's two feelings that we face. Number one is uncertainty, right? War is uncertain. And do you kind of feel like in our lives right now, you're kind of in this this phase or this time of uncertainty? Right? I know a lot of us are going through transition. Um, a lot of us are preparing for new opportunities and new journeys. But the thing about something that is completely new is we don't know what lies on the other side. And because of that, that breeds uncertainty. A second feeling that we face is confusion. Maybe in college, right, we kind of had our five-year plan or 10-year plan nailed down. I'm going to use this degree so I could do this job. And here we are in the present life where, like, I'm doing nothing that relates to my college degree. Or where I'm at at 30 is not what I've imagined when I was 20. There's a lot of us, we feel these emotions of uncertainty and confusion. And when you mix that into a pot, when you throw in the ingredient of uncertainty and confusion, that leads you to the end product of fear. There's a great article in the New York Times written by this columnist. His name is David Brooks. He runs the opinion section, and he's a great writer, great thinker. And he titled this article, An Era Defined by Fear. So in this article, he writes about how our our country has transitioned into this era of fear ever since 9-11. Right, because 9-11 was the moment when our country that had once seemed invulnerable, indestructible, suddenly felt tremendously unsafe. Right? And outside of all the stuff that's going on in our country with all the shootings, issues pertaining to social justice, David Brooks also mentioned that fear comes from below. What he means by that is this. It comes from our childhood trauma. It comes from our insecurity. Right? There's some of us who grew up in strained families and suffered adverse childhood experiences that make it hard to feel safe. Now, on the other hand, um, some of us, we, we grew up in overprotective families. And once we reach adulthood where we have freedom, right, we have responsibilities to manage, we're not really ready to face all the risks that come in front of us in life. Brooks also mentioned that the media is responsible for the rise of fear, Right? There's a lot of tension in the media nowadays. Right? Um, he says, everybody is a broadcast journalist now, competing for ratings and page views. The sure way to win is to ratchet up the crisis atmosphere. Right? 
all news is breaking news. Right? And he goes on and he expands and talks about this effect of fear. Right? This is what he says. Um, fear puts a dark filter over everything. The fearful person is unable to hear good news, while any possible threat looms large. We are in the middle of one of the longest economic booms in our history, with wages finally rising again for the middle class, but nobody feels that because of the sense that it's all about to come crashing down. Fear runs ahead of the facts and inflames the imagination. 90% of the time, we're not afraid of what's happening to us, but of some catastrophic thing our imagination tells us might happen. He goes on. Fear stokes anger, which then stokes more fear. Anger is the child of fear, the philosopher Martha Nussbaum writes in her book, The Monarchy of Fear. The fearful person turns asocial, rejects any compassionate response to social problems, and instead lashes out. Fear, indeed, is intensely narcissistic, she continues. It drives out all thoughts of others. The fearful person doesn't see particular individuals, just hateful shades who arouse disgust and can be blamed. And these are some examples. Muslims are disgusting. Immigrants are disgusting. Uh, Republicans are disgusting. The irrationality of disgust, Nussbaum continues, underlie many social evils. Such an accurate depiction of what fear does. You know, we see that fear has pervaded our society, and not only are we paralyzed and influenced by it, but this idea of fear has negative effects, right? We see fear manifests itself through anger, through narcissism, but in addition to that, it brings greater harm to our society, So the question that I really want us to examine as we look at God's word is, in the midst of our warfare, how do we fight fear? How can we, as Christians, navigate through fear, especially um, in our times today, right? It's a sensitive climate. We're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20, for that. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn them to Deuteronomy 20. Um, I have it here as well. Deuteronomy 20, we're just going to be reading uh, the first four verses. And this is the reading of God's word. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 2, and when you draw near to the battle... The priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. Why? Verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. This is our passage for today. Very powerful passage. And to give some context, Moses here, he's instructing God's people, Israel, on how to go into battle, how to engage your enemies in war. And he says this, when you go to war against your enemies, 
they're going to be stronger than you. They're going to have horses and chariots, things that you lack. Their armies will be larger than yours. But he says this, but do not be afraid because the Lord your God, Yahweh, is with you. And he says, remember how God has brought you out of Egypt. And he says this, as you go into war, the priest will come out and address the people and say, look, we're going to fight our enemies. We're about to go to war, but do not be afraid. Why? God is going with you. He's fighting for you. And he will give you victory. You know, in our battles, as we fight, it's not about how powerful you are. It's not about how strong you are or how gifted you are or how smart you are or how righteous you are. And conversely, when we go to war, it's certainly not about how weak you are or how broken you are or what limitations you have. This text is showing us, church, that God himself is the one who decides victory. Our battles are not won through our own might, but our battles are won through what? God's presence. You know, if we look at the history of Israel, Israel has won many battles, but they've also lost quite a bit as well. The reason why Israel lose their battles is because they let fear take control. What happens when fear takes control of us? Not only does it lead us to be angry and so self-consumed and narcissistic, but fear also breeds doubt, doesn't it? Fear leads us to doubt. And what does doubt lead to? Doubt breeds disobedience. Do you see that? The fear that Israel had has caused them to be faithless, which then led them to disobey, which is why they lost their battles. And all throughout Scripture, we see the command that God himself gives to his people is, do not fear, fear not, fear not, fear not. We see that all over Scripture. Because our fundamental issue is faithlessness that is rooted by fear. Now, how do we fight fear? What can we do? What is the solution? This is our main point for today. God's presence is the weapon to fight fear. God's presence is the weapon to fight fear. So as the Marines have their standard-issued rifles, right, to engage in combat, which I think is the M16A4 rifle, right, it's their standard-issue weapon used for them to to fight, we have a standard-issue weapon to fight as well, and this weapon is the greatest weapon of all, God's presence, In this passage, God's teaching a very important lesson to Israel. God is saying, my own presence will be with you in battle. Even in the most difficult circumstances, we can have peace. When the armies look larger and mightier and stronger than us, we can still have hope because God is with us and because God is fighting our battles. You know, I love Psalm 23. You know, and David pretty much says this, God is the one who leads me in security. God is the one who lies me down in green pastures, and he leads me by still waters. And even if it's unbearably difficult for me, even though um, it seems like there's no hope, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? I will not be afraid. I will not fear. Why? 
because he says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David, in this time of distress, do you know what he does? He looks to God's presence. He reminds himself, okay, I am not alone. God is with me. He is here. His presence is with me. And that gives him composure and peace. That is what makes God's presence so important and crucial. Because do you believe this, church? God's presence is greater than your weakness. God's presence is greater than your losses. God's presence is greater than sin itself. Therefore, for us to have God's presence as a church, we can face any battle. This is what God wants us to believe. You know, the reason why the Christian life is so amazing is because we can have composure, peace, security, joy, and satisfaction even as we head towards and endure the most painful circumstance in our lives. Why? How can we have these feelings? It's because of God's presence. Right, if we look at the example of Apostle Paul, he writes in Philippians, he learned the secret to being content. He learned the secret in being stable and secure in suffering. And that's why he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is why Christianity is so great. Right, this is how God's presence changes our lives. It gives us the confidence to go into battle no matter what the outcome is because that outcome is insignificant compared to what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Let me explain. The cross is so important because the cross is what caused the curtain to be torn from top to bottom. Do you know what that means? It is because of the cross where we are able to access God's presence. God's presence changes our doubt into faith. God's presence changes our helplessness into hopefulness. God's presence changes our fear into boldness. And I'm not saying, like, it's completely wrong or you're weak or you're stupid for having fear. No, fear is completely human. It is natural. That's a natural response to all the uncertainties that we face in life. But God has given us a powerful tool to combat fear, which is his presence. All right, so that's our main point, that God's presence is a weapon to fight fear. I want to leave you with two applications. Here's the first one. Go to God first. Go to God first. Uh, let me explain. Uh, what do you do, or what, who do you turn to when you're in need of help? Where do you find refuge and shelter, safety, when things are difficult? When I ask that question to myself, uh, I, the first thing I do is seek approval and affirmation. All right, this is how God has wired me. I want people to validate me, right? Now, not that it's wrong for me to seek community for help, but here's what I realized. I find myself going to people first rather than going to God first. Do you see that? Which is extremely unhealthy and idolatrous. A lot of times, we do this so subtly, and we're not even mindful of this when it happens, um, our first reflex or response to hardship or difficulties is not to pray, usually. It's try to fix things or to, um, it's try to, it's to fix things with our own might. It's to bring comfort to ourselves. 
And I think what we have to understand in light of God's presence is this. We have to identify the things that we turn to for help. If we struggle with approval, we're going to turn to people to affirm and accept us. If we struggle with comfort, we're going to turn to pleasure to soothe us. If we struggle with power, we're going to turn to success to preserve our image and influence. If we struggle with control, we're going to turn to self-discipline and certainty to avoid bad things from happening. Identify what you turn to first and make the effort to turn to God. All right, turn to God first. All right, make that a, a habit. Make that a discipline. That should be the first thing we seek. Here's the second thing. Build up the body. Build up the body. Here's what I mean by that. Um, as members who are part of a covenant family, we have an obligation to one another. I have an obligation to you as a covenant member. And what I mean by building up the body is this. I want to encourage you to speak the truth in love. We are arguably um, the most passive-aggressive people on earth, right, Asian Americans. And it's really hard for us to be confrontational, right? I struggle at this too. I always want to say nice things and just bury the, you know, the mean stuff or the, the hard truths. But speaking the truth in love, which is a command from Scripture, requires difficult conversations, right? Um, when was the last time you had a difficult conversation with another brother or sister, right? Um, sp- these difficult conversations that we partake in to sp- speak the truth in love requires a boldness that's rooted in love for the other individual. And if you're on the other side, it requires humility to receive the words in love as well, graciously. All right, and, you know, like, we're family, we have life groups, right? There's so many, like, relationships here, right? There's, like, a web and networks of just relationships across this room. Um, utilize these relationships, encourage one another, strengthen one another, right? Help each other to point to God and his presence. Because the Spirit, right, the Holy Spirit wants to use us. He, the Spirit wants to use you right now to be a tool to comfort and to strengthen and to build a body. And you have that opportunity. Those are the two applications. Go to God first. Secondly, build up the body. Uh, In closing, I want to go back to the great song, Jesus Walks. Um, What's the purpose of the song? Right. Um, I think the thesis of the song is this. It's a part where, like, the lady screams, or not screams, uh, sings, uh, Jesus, walk with me, with me, with me. And then the idea of, I need Jesus, right? There's a line where Kanye, he raps this. Um, I'm going to try to execute this um, with all my practice from the past. I ain't here to argue about his facial features or here to convert atheists into believers. I'm just trying to say the way school need teachers, the way Kathy Lee needed Regis, that's the way I need Jesus. And as crazy as Kanye is, I think when it comes to this particular line, isolated in itself, um, he's onto something. We need Jesus. We need his presence. We need Jesus to be with us in our life, in our battles, in our warfare. 
And one of the most comforting things we can hear is this phrase, I am with you. I am here with you. You know, I can't remember specific details, but I remember many moments in my childhood where I was scared and afraid of everything, right? Um, I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of getting lost. I was afraid of heights. I'm still af- I'm afraid of heights. Um, I was afraid of being home alone, right? And there's this one time my parents, like, or our family, we went to Las Vegas, and I got lost at a casino, and I was freaking out. I was like, oh, my gosh, as a kid, I'm going to get kidnapped right now, right? So I was crying, I, and then, like, you know, out of my, like, survival skills, I went straight to an employee, and I was like, my parents left me, <laughs> right? And then they're like, calm down, like, your parents didn't leave you. And then all of a sudden, I see them, like, looking at some, like, performance. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you, like, left me for that, right? Here's the thing, though. Whenever I, I had that type of fear, Whenever I perceived danger, whenever I felt unsafe or threatened, my mom and dad would sense my fear. They would hold my hand and say, don't worry, I am here with you. And my parents holding my hands communicated a very powerful truth to me. Do you know what it communicated? It communicated that they love me, that they care for me, that they will always put themselves in danger to protect me. They are with me, always by my side, and they will never let go of me. That's the power of that truth. I am here with you. And the most comforting truth we find in this passage is when God tells his people that he loves, he cares for, he cherishes. The Lord your God is with you. And so I say to you, Exchange Church, the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is with you in every single battle that you face. And every trial and every uncertainty and every moment of confusion in your life, the Lord your God is with you. He has never left your side. You know, winning the battles or having victory isn't the main point of this passage. The main point of this passage is the fact that God will be with his people in victory or in defeat. And to have God's presence in defeat is infinitely greater than having victory without God's presence. Church, do you believe that? God is telling us through the powerful truths that we see from this passage, I am with you. And when you understand my presence, you can face any battle in life because you are not alone. I have not left. I will never leave. I will walk with you even in suffering, in waiting, in testing, in trials. And that's how his presence alleviates fear. God's presence is all that you need. I'm here as a servant of God's word to tell you that. God's presence is all that you need. God's presence gives us the greatest sense of security and hope that we can't find anywhere else. God's presence allows us to be content poised, and secure even in the most turbulent times of our lives. And I say this lovingly, the Bible isn't interested in solving all of our issues in life. What I mean by that is this. It's not interested in revealing to you which job you should pursue, which career to follow after, which relationship to pursue, um, how to fix these issues in your life specifically. You know, the goal of the Bible isn't even to give us practical ways to fix our, our, our messy circumstances. Do you know why that is? 
is because the Bible is not about us to begin with. All of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is about divine self-disclosure. Right? The goal of the Bible is to reveal to all of us who is Yahweh, who is God, and how does he want to relate to his people. And once we start to better understand who God is, once we better understand his character and his heart, then, church, we will have a greater understanding and awareness of God's presence in our lives. To know God is to experience his presence. And I want to leave you with this question, Exchange Church. Is God's presence enough for you right now, where you're sitting in life? Is God's presence enough for you? Let's be a church that has this resolve to pursue God's presence. Let's be a church who has this reflex to be so quick in turning to God first. Let's be a church that builds up the body through the power of the Holy Spirit to remind ourselves of this powerful truth of God's presence. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Christ, your son, we have Emmanuel. Um, Jesus, you are the embodiment of God's people. And not only did you meet your people, not only did you speak uh, to your people, but God, you lived, you dwelled with your people. And in the new covenant, the reality that we have as Christians who live according to grace by faith is the fact that we have your very own spirit living in us, that God, you are with us. Encourage the church today as we step into fog, as you take us deeper into the ocean, as we face uncertainty and the lack of clarity and confusion, and help us to really fight to have your presence, to believe in your presence, to trust in your presence. Christ, be all around us, be behind us, be in front of us, be with us, uh, because we confess that apart from you, we can't live, we can't function, we can't be healthy. Jesus, convict your church to pursue your presence. And we pray this in your name. Amen.